Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville, also streaming worldwide at forwardradio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 343. Today's topic is climate and the war machine. Climate and the war machine. Let's ask the question, are the people who brought us the war machine and keep bringing us the war machine, are they capable of addressing the climate crisis? I mean, seriously, let's just look at this. So let's look at a speech by George H.W. Bush from March 6th, 1991. Where were you when Desert Storm was a thing? This is President George W. Bush's speech to Congress immediately after the conclusion of the first Gulf War in 1991. The Speaker of the House has just given the President the highest words of praise. The President is a hero, and now he is going to return the praise and share the gratitude with all those who made this war effort possible. Mr. President and Mr. Speaker, thank you, sir, for those very generous words spoken from the heart about the wonderful performance of our military. Members of Congress, five short weeks ago, I came to this House to speak to you about the State of the Union. We met then in time of war. Tonight, we meet in a world blessed by the promise of peace. From the moment Operation Desert Storm commenced on January 16th until the time the guns fell silent at midnight one week ago, this nation has watched its sons and daughters with pride, watched over them with prayer. As Commander-in-Chief, I can report to you our armed forces fought with honor and valor. And as President, I can report to the nation aggression is defeated. The war is over. This is a victory for every country in the coalition for the United Nations. A victory for unprecedented international cooperation and diplomacy, so well led by our Secretary of State, James Baker. It is a victory for the rule of law and for what is right. Desert Storm's success belongs to the team that so ably leads our armed forces, our Secretary of Defense and our Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Dick Cheney and Colin Powell. And while you're standing, this military victory also belongs to the one the British call the Man of the Match, the Tower of Calm at the Eye of Desert Storm, General Norman Schwarzkopf. And recognizing this was a coalition effort, let us not forget Saudi General Khalid, Britain's General de la Bière, or General Rogue Geoffrey of France, and all the others whose leadership played such a vital role. And most importantly, most importantly of all, all those who served in the field. You can imagine that the foregoing was interrupted several times with applause and will continue to be interrupted with applause. And above all, I thank those whose unfailing love and support sustained our courageous men and women. I thank the American people. 
Tonight, I come to this house to speak about the world, the world after war. The recent challenge could not have been clearer. Saddam Hussein was the villain. Kuwait was the victim. To the aid of this small country came nations from North America and Europe, from Asia and South America, from Africa and the Arab world, all united against aggression. Our uncommon coalition must now work in common purpose to forge a future that should never again be held hostage to the darker side of human nature. Tonight in Iraq, Saddam walks amidst ruin. His war machine is crushed. His ability to threaten mass destruction is itself destroyed. His people have been lied to, denied the truth. And when his defeated legions come home, all Iraqis will see and feel the havoc he has wrought. And this I promise you, for all that Saddam has done to his own people, to the Kuwaitis, and to the entire world, Saddam and those around him are accountable. All of us grieve the victims of war, for the people of Kuwait and the suffering that scars the soul of that proud nation. We grieve for all our fallen soldiers and their families, for all the innocents caught up in this conflict. Now let's go back and pick out a few key phrases and comment on them. One thing President Bush says is, Tonight we meet in a world blessed by the promise of peace. The question is, does he mean that? Does he value peace? Has any president ever valued peace? peace? Or are they not bought by the military-industrial complex? And thus you have so-called defense budgets going up and up and up and up and up because war is profitable and the people who sell the weapons control Congress and the president. Here's another key phrase. Aggression is defeated. As president, I can report to the nation, aggression is defeated. So is it the role of the government, of the United States, of the President, of the Congress to oppose aggression? Is it such a stretch to say that there has never been a more aggressive country, a more aggressive empire? We've been at war since the very beginning. We've been at war since people landed on this continent. We've been at war since 1776. And especially, we've been at war since 1945, since the end of World War II. And every single war since the end of World War II has been an undeclared war, it has been an unconstitutional war, and it has been a war of aggression. Let's look at some of the wars of aggression since 1945. The war in Korea, 1949 to 1953, 3 million dead. Vietnam, 1960 to 75, 3 million dead. Guatemala, 1954 to 1994, 200,000 dead. Indonesia, 1960s, body count of upwards of 500,000. Chile in the 1970s, 30,000. El Salvador, uh, from 1970 to 1990, 100,000. Argentina in the 1980s, 100,000 dead. 
Nicaragua in the 1980s, 50,000 dead. Panama invasion in 1989, 2,500 to 3,000 dead. The Gulf War, 200,000. Iraq sanctions, the sanctions in between the two wars, 1 million approximately. Maybe just a half million, maybe less than a half million, but a whole lot of people. Afghanistan, 2001 to 2021, 200,000. And the Iraq War starting in 2003, probably a million dead, but even if it's a fourth of that, it's still an illegal, unconstitutional, criminal war of aggression. Besides which, war has a big carbon footprint. You know what I'm saying? So these senators that just passed the Inflation Reduction Act are like, look at all the money we're spending dealing with carbon. Continuing with George Bush's, George H.W. Bush's speech, after the Iraq War, he says, this is a victory for every country in the Coalition for the United Nations, a victory for unprecedented international cooperation and diplomacy. It is a victory for the rule of law and for what is right. Okay, let's talk about the rule of law. Let's talk about the Charter of the United Nations. So the Charter of the United Nations says, all members, that means us, all members shall settle their international disputes by peaceful means in such a manner that international peace and security and justice are not endangered. Is that what we did with the Iraq War or the war in Vietnam or Korea or Panama or Argentina or Nicaragua or El Salvador? Are we settling our disputes peacefully? The Charter of the United Nations is a treaty that we signed in the late 1940s and since the ink was hardly dry on it, we've been nothing, doing nothing but violate the Charter of the United Nations. It says all members shall settle their international disputes by peaceful means. And it's like, Hart, what if somebody's attacking us? Okay, but when has that happened? When has that happened since 1945? Did Vietnam attack us? Did Korea attack us? Did Panama attack us? Did Iraq attack us? Did Afghanistan attack us? The Charter of the United Nations further says all members shall refrain in their international relations from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of any state. All members shall refrain from the threat of force or the use of force against two things, the territorial integrity or the political independence of any state. We do that every day before breakfast. We do that every day a thousand times before daybreak. We threaten the, we, we use force or the threat of force against the territorial integrity and the political independence of every country or, you know, many, 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 many countries in the entire world. And whenever we do that, we're not only violating an international treaty, we're violating international law, we are also violating our own constitution. 
because our Constitution says that treaties are the law of the land. So when we engage in an undeclared war, that's unconstitutional because wars are supposed to be declared. Congress has the power to declare war. Congress has not declared war since 1941. So if you were born after 1941, Congress has not declared war in your entire lifetime. Therefore, every war has been unconstitutional. Furthermore, every war has been unconstitutional insofar as we are engaging in the threat of force or the use of force against the territorial integrity or the political independence of any state. In other words, thou shalt not engage in wars of aggression. A war of defense is another thing, but we're not defending ourselves. We might, at times, be defending the interests of U.S. corporations, but the last I checked, that does not include the vast majority of the American people. So when George Bush says aggression is defeated, he's talking about other people's aggression. He's not talking about our aggression. All the countries I named, and this is just a small sample, really. Korea, Vietnam, Guatemala, Indonesia, Chile, El Salvador, Argentina, Nicaragua, Panama, Iraq again, Afghanistan, and Iraq again. These are wars of aggression. So the rule of law either matters or it doesn't. When President Bush says this is a victory for the rule of law and for what is right, the United States has no respect whatsoever for the rule of law. The fact that so many people feel differently is a testament to the effectiveness of the propaganda that we get through our education system, through the media, and through the organizations and institutions that benefit from war, so they're indoctrinating us from cradle to grave. So what does any of this have to do with climate? What this has to do with climate is, who are we going to trust to solve our climate problems? Who are we going to trust to solve any of our environmental problems? Are we going to trust people and organizations and institutions that time after time after time after time after time after time have proven that they are not trustworthy? So, generally speaking, who are you going to trust? Generally speaking, trust people who have the capacity to help you, who have the ability to help you. Generally speaking, trust people who do not have a conflict of interest. Generally speaking, trust people who do not have a hidden agenda. Generally speaking, trust people who do not have a track record of screwing you or the things you care about time after time after time after time after time. And yet this is what self-identified liberals and many progressives do time after time after time. They trust people who have a long track record of showing that they don't give a flying flip about you or the things that you care about, like the environment.
like the waterways, like the climate. If they cared about you, we wouldn't have the war machine that we have. If they cared about you, we wouldn't have the transportation system that we have. If they cared about you, we wouldn't have the agricultural system that we have, which uses the weapons of war in the form of fertilizers and pesticides. These fertilizers and pesticides that widely used originated as weapons of war. But in any event, they're poisoning people, poisoning waterways, poisoning wildlife, decimating our ecosystems. And if Congress cared, if the president cared, it wouldn't be this way. What else can we say about who to trust and who not to trust? You don't trust somebody simply because they have a slick delivery or a slick presentation. You don't trust somebody merely because of tradition. You don't trust somebody merely because of emotion. You don't trust somebody merely because of peer pressure, fitting in, being part of the cool kids group. And you don't trust messages from the corporate media, period, ever. Corporate media is not a service. It's not here to inform you. It is here to deceive you. Because the people who own and sponsor the media need your support. These are the companies that sell the weapons. This is the military-industrial complex. These are the companies that sell the pesticides and the chemical toxic fertilizers. These are the companies that sell the cars. These are the companies that sell the fossil fuels. These are even the companies that are heavily invested in some of the things that you might associate with positive climate action like solar and wind, etc. But more to the point, these are the companies that own the government that gave us NAFTA and the World Trade Organization. These are the companies that own Congress and the President that wanted to give us TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which would have been NAFTA on steroids, meaning bad for the environment, meaning let's put international trade on steroids, let's build massive ships to transport across oceans food that we could have grown here and goods that we could have made here. The environment doesn't win that game. Labor doesn't win that game. The average people in every country don't win the game of massive international trade in items that we could just as easily have grown or made right here. But that's exactly what NAFTA is. That's exactly what the Trans-Pacific Partnership is, which Hillary Clinton wanted to give us and Barack Obama wanted to give us the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So the people who own these companies that make the profits, they also own the media and they need your support. They need your support to make those billions of dollars that they don't have to share with anyone. And that's what it's all about if you're them and you're playing their game. Average people don't win that game. I'm saying average people don't win the game that we end up playing when we believe all the crap that you see on commercial, on corporate media, whether it's supposedly left-leaning, supposedly right-leaning, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times, NPR, yes, NPR. Average people don't win when we buy the crap that 
that you get from those outlets because their purpose is not, listen to me, the purpose is not to tell you the truth. Their purpose is to deceive you. That is literally their purpose. It's not just a side effect. So I'm saying that just because Joe Biden and his messages are presented to you nicely in a way that makes it makes you want to believe him, don't believe him. And I'm saying the same thing about Kamala Harris. I'm saying the same thing about Nancy Pelosi. And of course, I don't have to tell you that about Mitch McConnell, but I do have to tell you about uh, that about the charlatans that you have believed because they come nicely packaged on NPR and in the New York Bill Clinton. Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi. You've come to believe that they are the slightly better guys. But time after time after time after time, they give their unconditional love and support to the military-industrial complex, to Wall Street, to Big Pharma, Big Food, Big Agriculture, Big Fashion, Time after time after time, they give their unconditional love and support to the food monopolies, to the media monopolies. And the media gets in on the act too and gives a positive spin to everything that's included in this Inflation Reduction Act, everything that's, that's called renewable energy, everything that's called clean energy, clean cars, clean vehicles. You believe all that stuff because the media has given it a positive spin But much of what is called clean and called renewable is toxic, destructive, and polluting for the following reasons. When you think of a solar panel, we've been trained to think that this is a good thing, that this is clean, this is renewable, but that's PR. When you think of a laptop, think instead, I mean, mean, when you think of a solar panel, think instead of a laptop. Now, laptop is filled with toxic chemicals, toxic processes, energy-intensive processes that make it. And nobody in the world, according to Annie Leonard, author of The Story of Stuff, she talks about how electronics are made, and she says nobody in the world at any given point in time knows where all the components came from that are in your laptop doesn't mean we shouldn't have laptops, but imagine a world in which everybody owned 20 laptops. That's what we're getting into as we move toward indiscriminate use of solar power. Solar power has its place, but we need to consider the entire life cycle of that device before jumping in feet first so, you know, much of what's called renewable is anything but renewable. The, the sun continues to shine, but it takes a lot of non-renewable materials and resources to make a laptop. <laughs> Sorry, keep doing that. It, may, it takes a lot of non-renewable materials and resources to make a solar panel. It takes a lot of non-renewable materials and resources to make a wind turbine. Somebody might say, Hart, what are you talking about? Do you want to do everything with fossil fuels? Okay, that is a false choice. It's like there are more than two choices here. It's just like there should be more than two choices of political parties, but we're limited to two, 
And we're taught to think that it's either power everything with fossil fuels or power everything with, with clean and renewable energy, which we're led to believe is all good all the time, baby. But the third choice is to cut our energy consumption in half and then cut it in half again, which would be so easy to do if we weren't ruled by people who are making money doing things that nobody would want if we had the choice. If we had the choice and we had all the right information, we would not choose endless war. If we had the choice and we had all the right information, accurate information, we would not choose to have a transportation system that is all cars all the time. That is imposed upon us by people who don't care about us or the planet. If we had a choice, we would not choose an agricultural system where you get your food from 1,500 miles per, uh, 1,500 miles away on average. We would not choose that. We would choose if we could fresher food. We would choose if we could, I believe, if we had accurate information and a choice in the matter, we would choose a system where we work less. Maybe we work 20 hours a week, which would not be hard if we got to choose the world that we live in. You want half your time and half your money back? I can show you how to get half your time and half your money back because I can show you how at least half of the federal budget is spent on things people wouldn't want if they had a choice and had accurate information. Endless war, for example. And I can show you how the state budget and the local budget, half of it or more, is spent on things people wouldn't want if they had a choice. And I can show you how the family budget, at least half of it, is spent on things that people wouldn't want if they had accurate information and they had a choice. For example, cars take us $10,000 per year per car to own and operate on average. If you're in the country, you need a car or a truck. But if you're in the city, look at the city streets that are clogged with cars. We wouldn't need all the cars if we were to collectively spend more on mass transit and we would choose that if we could but instead it's like highway highway building the highway when are we going to build another highway when are we going to add another lane all this funding on transportation spent on highways to support a automobile dependent transportation system we would not choose that we would not choose that if we could we would rather have ten thousand dollars per year Okay, you'd need to take some of that 10000 and spend it on the collective mass transit system, but it would be a fraction of that $10,000 per year. I've got another minute. Let me leave you with something to think about. Whatever you care about, whatever problems you would like to solve in the public sphere, step number one is to know the real deal because a problem identified is half solved. We've got government and media and political parties that are populated with people whose job 
is to distract you from the real deal. Distract you from the truth. Step number one is to stop believing professional liars and to go a little bit out of your way to find out the truth. The great news is there's more of us than there are of them. Thank you for joining me. Have a wonderful day.